0: Summon your hairy hero men. This is a podcast on the deep history of class struggle, paleo-parapolitics, and the demonology of capital. I'm your host, Fergal Schmudlock, coming to you from a very noisy window side where uh, we have the next building is being torn down. So you actually hear jackhammers and bulldozers and everything. It's a, it's a controlled demolition, folks. A Literal Controlled Demolition. And it's, it's the perfect background to the story I have today. Which is from, uh, again, we go back to the 18th century BCE. To the old Babylonian version of the story known as Atra Hasis. After the main character. Or characters? Is he reincarnated? There's quite a, a gap between. Uh, at any rate, uh, reading this... I realize this connects directly to one of my favorite pieces of writing, which I've also revisited and read all the way through, cover to cover, as it were. Uh, A thread by Two Young Badass known as the Extinction Narrative. Uh, All of their threads there. Um, I'm just going to assume with with the name Two Young Badass uh, that they're male in some sense. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with he, him pronouns just for this. I, I'm open to being corrected. But basically, this is just the pairing to end all pairings here. Uh, two Young Badasses' Extinction Narrative thread, uh, which I, I printed out on paper. I printed it out. I, I showed this on Twitter a few days back. And I have now read the entire thing, all 340 pages. I read all of the book screenshots, that are provided there and everything. I actually went and downloaded a couple of those sources, in fact. And I've, oh, I have interesting things to say about that, too. But let me just go ahead and jump right into it so that I can give myself a good uh, free preview, first of all, uh, to, to get the basic idea out there. Uh, and then we'll go deeper as we go. But uh, so the evolution of the extinction narrative is the beginning of this thread. The goal of this thread is to examine the development of the narrative that the human species might cause its own end, inflict extinction upon itself. In response to the historical narrative of communism, that technological progress can lead to fairness and great prosperity for all human beings, capitalism asserts that in fact, human technological progress inevitably leads to immediate risk of, or actual, Extinction of humanity. This narrative is a thin mask laid upon an underlying threat. The threat of the capitalist ruling class against humanity, that if they decide to upend the current order, the ruling class itself will cause, quote, humanity's extinction. And like any threat, this threat is a mask laid upon the actual ability of the menacer to carry out what they are threatening. And sometimes the threat is distinct from the menacer's actual ability or desired course of action against the menaced. But in this thread, we are more so concerned with the evolution of the threat itself and particularly with the mask that sits on top of it. And this threat and the corresponding narrative begin with nuclear history. And so we we go through... Uh, the dream of the nuclear bomb which actually goes way way back before 1945 long before the actual revelation of atomic technology during world war II, the subject had received decades of conspicuous attention in fictional and non-fictional media much as it has been observed that a campaign of pre-programming was taken in advance of 9-11 so too it seems that a decades-long program of conditioning had been taken in advance of the first nuclear strike and the reveal of atomic weaponry. This campaign is where the early formation of the atomic narrative, and by extension the extinction narrative, began. In the first decade of the 1900s, the subject of radiation was exposed to the public. At this time, rapid technological transformation had already taken a hold of the narrative of human progress with optimism and abundance as the favored outcome of our species. The idea at the heart of this series of threads is that the, quote, way out for the capitalist class in the face of constant threat of revolution and the constant cost of energy expenditure to put down and preempt revolution around the globe is to massively depopulate the planet, a, quote, final solution to their problems. And that this idea was formed quite some time ago, that it was well formed by the Apollo era, and presumably even earlier than World War II, because it informed the shape of the Nazi regime, where many concepts of their goal, final solution, were researched and developed. And nuclear technology is really at the core of this idea, though we so far have focused on technologies that support the conditions before and after the act of depopulation itself. Nuclear technology is truly what enables such a large-scale depopulation, And it is hard to imagine this idea being considered and developed earnestly by the ruling class without some rudimentary idea of the possibilities posed specifically by nuclear technology. Well, uh, let me introduce you to the Atrahasis. The Atrahasis is maybe best known as an early version of the Flood of Noah story. And Atrahasis seems to be this character that sort of stands in for... What you uh, the better known Noah from the Hebrew version of this story? Now, uh, boy, this is going to be real interesting. So, um, Too young badass is also a Muslim. Um, much respect. I am. I think uh, my my two favorite religions, in a certain way, are, are Buddhism and Islam. As a recovering settler, I'm very suspicious of any settler that gets too into anyone. Religion or, or anything like that uh, For I think good reason. I think you'll agree uh, and but I, I like the way buddhism gives me a zero and Maybe Islam gives me a one. It's like nothing and everything, you know uh, You can strip away and you can look at the the fullness the whole uh, Or something. Um, I, I'm not a Muslim myself Um And of course, there's a big difference between someone like me uh, who is extremely interested through my connection to uh, Spanish literature, right? I mean, I do um, age of exploration Japanese uh, stuff in my day job, and that connects me to uh, Spanish literature, and that connects me to the Mediterranean world. And there, I'm really into uh, things like stuff like the scholarship of Barbara Fuchs, F-U-C-H-S, God, that is good stuff, Um, talking about the, well, just taking to the bank the extent to which the European Islamic world was once one with uh, Europe and and sort of in the heart of Europe, from everywhere from southern France to the west and, and the south of Italy and all the Mediterranean islands and everywhere from the Dalmatian coast across the way from Italy to, to the east. Uh, you know, what is now Hungary, all of that. You know, where so many of these nuclear scientists actually come from, interestingly. Right, I mean, it's kind of still this, this pivot point between east and west, between uh, the, cr- the rising Christian world uh, at in an earlier time. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, thro- so uh, across this Mediterranean world, you have slaving, kidnapping, um, conversion, reconversion, um, the renegado, you know, the, uh, the renegade, uh, going back and forth. And so these intra-Abrahamic disputes, you know, I mean, it's always about sort of who got the interpretation wrong, who corrupted the tradition and the accusations go back and forth. But, um, yeah, I really like how, how Islam is one of the, the simplest ones and it's about, uh, getting rid of idols. It's about, about getting rid of false, uh, uh, correcting the narrative. It's, it's really the, mo- the one most about correcting the narrative and seeing through the PSYOP, isn't it? Uh, which is something that we need today uh, in order to bring about revolutionary change in relations of production. Well, we need that more than ever, and especially in the actual threat of mass depopulation on the part of the ruling class. It is an active threat. The ruling class does want us dead. And uh, so here's a really interesting thing, though. Uh, this text, Atra Hasis, belongs to the Abrahamic tradition in some kind of sense, I think we can say, right? I mean, it's a, it's a meme that, that is shared by the Hebrew Bible. It's taken up later in a different form. Uh, and in the original one, though, actually the God's motivations for the, f- the biblical flood make way more sense here. What's actually the situation here is that, first of all, humanity, before humanity was created, there was gods oppressing gods. Gods were, uh, you know, and, and y- this you can easily read gods in this kind of a text as earlier generations, ancestor figures. Very easy to do that here. Uh, they were oppressing each other, exploiting each other, there was labor struggle and a revolution uh, among the gods. And the way that they decided to handle it was to create a, a sub-race of sub-gods, unta mention, uh, and call those, you know, the mention, the, the, the people. Uh, this is humanity. This was how com- humanity was created, as a, an underpowered uh, version of the gods who would just do work all the time. And that's what human beings are for. Uh, Fascinating, as always, the contrast of this ruling class ideology with the reality that we know from archaeology and anthropology, which is that human beings uh, don't have to work all the time. If you're a hunter-gatherer or pastoralist, you can get by with 13 to 15 hours of what we would call work. And these sorts of societies, people don't, they would frown on Doing more than that, because anything you store up, you're gonna, if you rely on store like that, you're going to find yourself in trouble for other reasons. And the kinds of, um, well, and also accumulation can then be, surplus can then be monopolized by someone. So if you accumulate surplus, then someone can monopolize it, they can hoard it, and they're going to end up creating a situation where everyone starves, uh, right? Including them including them. And uh, and I think this has probably happened many, many times in human history, and people have learned from it and decided not to do it. And that's why you find all kinds of traditions and things that uh, we've covered earlier on this podcast. So we know that this is natural capacity of of, uh, human beings as living in the world uh, as it was uh, created. But ruling classes have a different plan, and ruling classes need to fraudulently take credit (laughs) for <laughs> the creation of uh, all kinds of things, as, again, we'll see in this story. So, yeah, quick summary. Uh, the gods then um, institute uh, birth, marriage, and procreation as if, the, you know, this was the... Uh, well, the other way to read gods, right? Ancestors would be one. Another thing is the ruling class vis-à-vis the rest of humanity, yeah, or the rest of their, their particular society. And, uh, yeah, they want to take credit for we are the ones that make it possible for you to give birth and so on even though we've seen that the transition to sedentary life actually involves a great disruption of human reproductive capacity Uh, so pregnancy rates increase but rates of difficulty in childbirth also increase dramatically with um, settling we know this from archaeological data but then also from the 20th-century hunter-gatherer populations in the south of Africa, for example, who have been forced into sedentary life by settler colonialism. But here it's the gods, i.e. the ruling class, uh, taking credit for the institution of giving birth in, in the first place, and so on, right? Uh, we can remember a lot of the way a lot of cult leaders like to regulate the sex lives of their cult members in great detail and uh, limit and handicap and do everything they can in that way and of course all these technologies that are being uh, tested now to control people's minds from the inside you know Neuralink just got the okay to begin testing its implants in humans this is absolutely real and happening right now so you could do that you could use um again uh on the fly kind of uh biological editing technology like CRISPR and MRNA injections to, again, change the capabilities, right, of people. And, and the ruling class always talks about it in their propaganda as, oh, we'll increase your capabilities, right? But they can't imagine an, an increase in capabilities. They don't have that uh, capability. What they have the capability to do is to handicap all the rest of us and make it impossible uh... for us to challenge their uh... domination so the humans go to work uh... they're making and creating a lot of the landscape around there that of course we know was what made possible the innovations that uh, led to a very prosperous and happy uh... hunter-gatherer and pastoral society there for several thousand years before the institution of the state and uh, peasant aristocrat divide the division of labor. All of this, uh, there was a great period where they had all that technology, but they didn't use it for uh, the domestication of some human beings by other human beings, which is what uh, class society is. So then uh, the humans go all right, but then and that's all right. They're doing the work, uh, but then uh, the god uh, who's in charge of the earth, which is Enlil. Um, Anu is is in the heavens, Enlil is on the earth, and then Enki is the god of the ocean. And so now they've settled into this new regime, the human beings have been created to do all of the work that the undergods used to do, Uh, but everything's not quite right in paradise because uh, Enlil is annoyed with all the clamor and all the noise that the human beings make. And he wants to murder them all. He wants to exterminate them. And so he sends a series of of disasters on human beings. First, he sends a plague, then a drought, then a famine, and finally the flood. So the flood is only the, the last of a series there. But... Somehow Enki, who uh, w- participated in the original creation of the human beings, and he, he sort of, that's part of his reason for doing this, he mentions at one point. But he subverts Enlil's plots at every turn, and he tells uh, a wise man, Atra Hasis. Atra hasis, the name means the, the greatest of the wise men. But he sort of tells him which god to pray to. Uh, to assuage each disaster and so Atra is able to tell the people to pray to the right God each time and thereby get through each disaster and foil the plot of Enlil to massively depopulate and exterminate uh, the the working class of the universe which is uh, humankind right even though, very ironically, at this point, you know, the, the state, class society, is such a minority in the globe. Even up until the age of exploration, uh, barely half of humanity was under class society. So we see here the role already of ideological domination, of narrative, uh, the use of language and of the technology of writing which originally we do see comes from sort of the spreadsheets that you need to keep in order to count harvests, in order to count value, in order as, as measured by these grains of grain that are gathered by the grain state. Uh, but soon, you know, that it begins to be, writing begins to be used for ideology, for propaganda. And the class that is in charge of this is the scribal class. The scribal class comes to wield great power and to shape the narratives that ordinary people believe in. Even if we know that Mesopotamian class society was the tiniest little bubble uh, in a vast world of free hunter-gatherers and reed boat explorers and artists and musicians and world travelers. And now more than ever, we can get back there. We're, the time is close. And that is precisely why the extinction pressure, the extinction narrative, is being ramped up in this way. I think there are still many, many ways that uh, the ruling class can lose. But the stakes are real, and they really do want us dead. That's the, that is the stone-cold face Behind the mask of the propaganda, right? which even in this story here, Atra Hasis, is if anything parallel to the nuclear scientists, the rocket scientists, as it were. You know, this it was amazing for me to really get deep into that narrative because I'd never really learned it. Even growing up in the U.S. as a white settler, I heard that you know vaguely. You know, you get the mythos a little bit. You, the the phrase, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Where does that come from? Well, rocket scientists were considered to be the priest, the god emperors of our society in, in the early post-war. And this is because they held, they were the ones telling the narrative, holding the mask. They were the ones dancing around in the masks. Just like in the more exploitative of the trans-egalitarian societies where the secret society comes around they're wearing the masks, and they're like, the evil gods are visiting the village. It's very dangerous. You must wait in your home, civilian. Now, I think in the vast majority of indigenous societies, this is does not go together with uh, extreme exploitation, but sometimes it does. And I think the extreme psyops that we're seeing in Anglo-American-dominated uh, global society today... Uh, certainly is very exploitative and certainly is relying on uh, exactly that kind of psyop in the worst kind of way. And there's a whole lot more to say about that. I'm going to read directly from the Atra Hasis. I'm going to get into all the different stages of the extinction narrative, including the more recent stages here uh, that are in Two Young Badasses' thread. But first, this is a fully listener-funded podcast you too can become a member of the kingless generation if you go to patreon.com. You can just search for the kingless generation. And the low pr- proletarian price, uh, and I hope numerologically good, uh, three thirty-three dollars US a month uh, as l- for as long as the U.S. dollar holds out. You can get access to the full catalog of premium episodes and you get access to the Discord server where I have already posted all materials for this episode and you'll get those in advance. Usually as I'm, as I'm sketching out ideas, I'm always throwing stuff in there. It's like my little notebook for preparing ideas regarding cultures of all time periods and all regions of planet Earth. So far, yes, uh, it has been limited to planet Earth uh, and perhaps you shouldn't trust people who, tr- who talk too much about Mars or going to Venus or something like this either. I don't know. Maybe there will be occasion. But at any rate, uh, please support independent media. Thank you so much to those of you who are supporters and members of the Kingless Generation. It means the world to me that you would believe in this project enough to support it. Um, and I'm having the time of my life, and I don't want to hear about it online but i love imagining all the organizing that you are getting up to to spread and build the kingless generation in whatever kind of form that it's going to take in your immediate surroundings when you reach out irl not on the internet cultivate information asymmetry with the ruling class cultivate information asymmetry with the ruling class in whatever way that you can. You know, I was feeling it was feeling good to be reading the two young badass on paper because I was like, Oh, I'm not generating any data by doing this. Right? I mean there's something very cool about uh the the threads, obviously. It's like stumbling into a secret garden sculpted out of paper clips, I said before. But, you know, clicking through, I always get distracted is my problem. I get onto some other thread, and so I've read bits and pieces of every thread, but never any thread all the way through. So my new strategy is print them out, get a a pen and highlight and go through and take notes, and, well, the results will be in this episode. So...